0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Open up to 1 Samuel chapter 12, that's what we're going to be studying tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 12. But if you remember back in chapter 11 uh, of 1 Samuel, uh, it was a special uh, occasion because the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, who had already been anointed by Samuel as the king of Israel that the people had asked for. And in verse 6 of chapter 11, it says it this way. It says, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. And of course, Pastor Michael you know, just shared with you a little bit about that verse and uh, you know, told you it's okay to get angry once in a while, but not tonight after the service, okay? Don't, don't want to go there. All right. So that happened. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. And what happened was that they had a great victory. And and after this great victory, Saul acted in a gracious uh, way, with humility, with wisdom. Uh, it, It was a great occasion of what had taken place. And remember that God was the one who was gracious because he's the one who equips Saul. Remember that Saul really, before Um, he came looking for his donkeys, really didn't even know God. He had no relationship with Him, And here he comes from that place. And in a short period of time, God equipped him by the power of the Holy Spirit um, to do the the task that he called him to do. And that's what took place. So then we get into chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel said to all Israel... Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now, here is your king, pointing to Saul, here is your king walking before you. But I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. Now, what's happening here is that Samuel is, some scholars say he's giving his farewell speech, but it really isn't a farewell speech. It is in terms of uh, his position as judge over Israel. He is going to relinquish uh, that position he will no longer be the judge over Israel but he will certainly still be a priest and prophet for Israel so it's not really technically um, a farewell speech but he says this he says so here's the king you you know who the king is now we had a great victory here he is he's right before you but I personally am old and gray um I I know none of you um can relate to that but I can so um not the great part he could have said I'm old and bald and I would have been good with that um, But then he says an interesting thing here. He says, behold, my sons are with you. Now, there's a little bit of disagreement here, but I think if you look at what he's saying here, they're not up there with him. He says, they're with you. And it's kind of interesting because it seems as though, basically, Samuel had to fire his sons from their position. They were supposed to be assisting him in the priestly duties and yet they weren't doing their job and the reason I didn't bring that up is because remember back at the beginning of first Samuel when we were studying um, about Eli and his sons and how terrible they were and yet Eli didn't do anything about it but it appears that Samuel probably did do something about it eventually he took them out of their position now that's we can't be guaranteed that that happened but it seems that that's a good possibility but then Samuel goes on he says so I'm old now And I've walked before you from my youth even to this day. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I have about four other lessons from this chapter that we want to get into. But it's an important thing to look at Samuel and say, here was a leader of integrity. Because remember, um, in the beginning of this book, the the leaders that they had originally didn't have that same integrity that Samuel had. So he says, I've walked before you from my youth. And think about that. He was out in front of the people since he was a young boy always out there in front, always having to do what God wanted him to do and to represent God from the time he was a youth. Think of the tremendous responsibility that was. Now, I can relate a little bit to that. Um, It seems for whatever reason, uh, just as an example, I started coaching a men's basketball team when I was 16 years old. and Half the guys on my team were 30 years old. I was out in front. I was placed from a young age kind of in the front, and, and so I kind of relate to what he's saying here. You know, it's like from a young age, I've had to be laid bare before you and people can see all your flaws and all your faults when you're out there in front, can't they? And so um, then what he does here, he says, not only that, he goes, but um, I'm going to give you a chance to tell me if you find any fault in me. Now, I can guarantee you, I've been out in front for a while, I'm not doing that, okay? Okay. I'm not going to ask you, tell me all the faults you see in me. I don't want to hear that, okay? But Samuel did. He says this in verse 3. He says, Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed, meaning Saul. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? If I have, basically he's saying, I will restore it to you. So he lays it out there. He says, you judge me. Have I done any of these things? Now, I think part of the reason he did that was because in previous um, situations, that is exactly what they had had done to them um, by the sons of Eli. So he says, if I've done any of these things, you tell me and I'm going to make it up to you. Verse 4, they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you. Now, that doesn't mean he's against you. He's just saying, it's a, it's a phrase saying, okay, the Lord's bearing this out. He's, he's agreeing here. You have said this. And his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. In other words, we agree. We agree before the Lord that you have done nothing to wrong us even though you have been in front of us ministering since the time of a little child and I I just thought about and I shared this uh, yesterday devotions with our staff and I, I said you know wow as leaders in particular could we say this could we go before a congregation could we go before the people that we're leaders of and say this and allow them to respond back in that way the people here though acknowledge that Samuel has been a faithful and an honest leader to them and that's an awesome witness but now, he's going to give them a history lesson. And in this lesson, he's going to show them why it is that they were in rebellion when they asked for a human king, rather than for God to be their king. And within this history lesson, it's, it's kind of a disconcerting pattern that we will see as we study through the Old Testament with the children of Israel. He says in verse 6, Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron. And it's almost like he's saying right there, Look, you're asking for a king now, but if you go back, God is the one who appoints the leaders. And he says, It's the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Nobody asked, nobody demanded, I should say, someone to lead them out. They did ask. They prayed to God and asked for a deliverer. But they didn't demand anything. They just asked God to deliver them. And the Lord appointed Moses and Aaron. Verse 7, so now take your stand, where it really just means stand up and listen. He actually made them stand up, maybe so they listen better. That I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. Verse 8. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Verse 11, Then the Lord sent uh, Jeroboam, and that's uh, just a term for Gideon. You remember that from Sunday if you were here. And Badan and Jephthah and Samuel. He's including himself. He's saying that God sent these judges who would deliver you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. So again, Samuel here is showing them this pattern that has come up, which is they cry out to God to be delivered. God delivers them and says, serve me. And then in turn, they turn to other gods. They rebel against God. Then they get punished for their rebellion. And then they cry out to God again, and God delivers them again. And says, serve me. And so you see this pattern. And again, it is disconcerting to see that the same pattern happens over and over again. And you wonder, um, you know, when are you going to learn the lesson? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. So now he's going to show them once again that they rebelled because they rejected God as their king. They may not have thought of it that way. I mean, think about it. If we go back into uh, 1 Samuel 3, remember when we talked about how they got pounded because they went out to battle without asking God. And then they decided, well, we're going to bring God into the mix because we're going to go grab the ark, and we'll bring the ark with us, and that'll do it. See, to them, again, that was bringing God into it, even though we talked about then that they were using a symbol rather than the person of God himself. And then they really got pounded. So he's saying and telling them, this is why. So we look in verse 12. He says, Here's what took place really. You were all good and then all of a sudden when you saw Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, 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 but a king shall reign over us although the Lord your God was your king. So in verse 12 we can, we can find an answer to a question. Why is it did they want an earthly king at that point in time? Why did they choose then? And the truth of the matter is, if you look at it, it was when Nahash was going to come against them, and they were scared. They were afraid. They were in fear of what was going to happen to them because of what had happened to them earlier. And so they had this fear of what might happen to them. And that fear drove them to look for a human king rather than to rely upon the Lord their God. So that's our first lesson. You might want to write it down. Lesson number one. What was happening here was because of fear they were looking for a man to save them in a situation rather than God. And that's a lesson for us. When we look for a man to save us rather than to God, it is always a bad choice. You know, we tend to do that. We can look in our country right now and everybody's going, we just got to find the right government leader. You know, In our case, of course, not a king but a president. If we get the right president, our problems are going to be solved. We look to a man. God wants us to come to him to solve our issues and our problems. Not to look to man. And not just looking even to a man, but we oftentimes look to worldly wisdom. We look for answers in the flesh to solve our situations rather than going by the Spirit. And when we do that, it will always backfire. As a believer in Christ, we are not to look for worldly answers to our problems. We are to look to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and to find the answers to what we need to be doing. This is, in essence, what they had done. They had looked to the flesh for their answer rather than the Spirit. Instead of seeking God's solution and God's wisdom... They were trying to work it out in human reasoning. So think about your own life. And maybe sometimes you've done that. You know, Maybe, maybe because of fear you looked for a worldly answer rather than going to God for the solution. Maybe you looked to, to a man for your answer. Maybe you looked to some worldly system to solve your problem. Just as an example, I, have you ever been in a financial crisis? I have several times. And sometimes you could see no way out of that crisis. And you start to think, okay, how am I going to do this? And you know, you, you maybe start reading some books and you look to the wisdom of the world. And, and sometimes that'll lead to some really bad thoughts and ideas. You know, you get these, these guys that say, well, look, just go and put it on this line of credit, right? Borrow this much money, and you're looking at it, and maybe you realize, I don't know if I could pay that much back. But you kind of get pushed into it and go, this is the answer. I've got to have it now. And maybe you try that. Or maybe you take in your business, and you're in that same situation. And you decide, well, maybe I can shift some funds around. I'm not really supposed to do this. But if I just move this over here for now, then I can take care of this, and then later I can come back and do it. And, and you come up with these schemes and ideas. Um, maybe you even got to your income taxes and said, I'm in really bad shape, so if I just kind of fudge here and I fudge there. You know, everybody tells me, you know, don't worry about it. You know, your chances of getting audited are really low. You know, that's not going to happen. So just go ahead and, you know, put that business expense down there at 300 instead of 200 And, you know, man's thinking, worldly ways of, Coming up with an answer. What about on your job? Have you ever been put in a situation where you were asked to compromise your belief and you were looking to worldly wisdom to come up with that answer? Well, let me go and ask my buddy over here, how did you handle this? What did you do? Well, you know, I knew it was wrong, but, you know, I just figured, you know, the boss is asking us and he's our boss. So even though I knew it was wrong, I just figured let's just go ahead and do it this way. Some, many, many of you know what I'm talking about. I, as a teacher, I just promise you, I was placed in many situations where I felt I was being asked to compromise. Um, it happens to all of us. And it can sometimes be tough. Even, even some of you that have had a long time relationship with the Lord. And maybe you've seen Him do many miracles in your life just like the children of Israel had. If they hadn't seen it in person, they'd heard about it from their parents and their their grandparents this is what God did for us but yet they still get in a situation and they go I don't see God working right now I better look to a, a worldly answer I better look to a person I better look to a human king for the answer you know I see it happening in the church today I look at the church and I I see many churches that I really truly believe have looked at the attendance in their church and watch it dwindle And they begin to look for worldly answers to that issue. They look to figuring out what's the marketing technique that we can use to bring people into the church. You know what I'm talking about. They're looking for a worldly answer to a spiritual problem. The problem of people not coming into your church is not that you're not marketing your church well enough. I can just tell you that right now. And if any of you pastors happen to listen to this on the radio or on the internet, I hope you listen closely. That's not the answer to your church attendance. The answer is to get the Holy Spirit back in your church. The answer is to rely upon God, not to man, and not to man's wisdom. And allow Him to bring the people into the church that He is going to bring into the church and be faithful to teaching His Word. It's fear that's causing this. It's not fear. God's answer to what He wants to do. This is a real tragedy that we have in the church today. God tells us all the time, don't operate in fear. We're not to look to man for the answer or our provision in anything, but we're to look to God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear as it says in some of the translations, but of power and love and discipline. And we're not to fear what man can do to us if we get in one of those situations. We're not to fear the outcome if we follow God's way. We're not to fear what man can do to us. 1 Peter 3:14 says, "But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened." Matthew ten twenty eight and 29 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear Him who is able to both destroy the body and the soul in hell. That's who you need to fear. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I can promise you that this is true. You know, First Peter, if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Um, I can tell you that I I kid a lot about, you know, when I was a teacher, that I was in the principal's office more than most of my students. Okay? Many times in doing what I knew was the right thing to do, I got called in on the carpet by a principal and sat down, got chewed out, got threatened to have it placed in my file. And and I'm not saying, you know, I'm Mr. Super Spiritual and I always did it right because I didn't always do it right. But the point is, I can tell you when I did. I was blessed. Uh, just one quick example. Uh, I may have shared this before. But when I was a head football coach, uh, I won't mention the high school, but I used to on Saturdays go down to the abortion chamber. And, and I, my job there was to try and get people to not go through the abortion. Other people prayed. Other people shared the, the gospel. But that was my job. And I had a couple of guys um, that were um, high up in in politics in the city that I was in. And they went to my principal and basically tried to get me fired for doing that. Uh, they wanted me to back down. They didn't think the head football coach of their high school should be seen on the street doing what was right. And so I got called into the principal's office once again. And we had an interesting conversation. And, um, but by the time we were done, uh, I was blessed because my principal stood up For me, And said, you have the right to do that. And I'm not going to listen to these guys. So God blesses. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you. So always instead look at the solutions and the provision that God has. Matthew 6.33, you guys all know this verse. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Before you're looking to any man for an answer, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Matthew 6:25 through 27. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than these things? More important than food? Well, I, you know, sometimes I don't know if I can go along with that one, but, but okay, God, I, I believe you. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't worry. But God takes care of them. Don't look to man for solution. Look to God. Seek first his kingdom. He'll take care of you. Now, don't misunderstand this, by the way. Sometimes when when we teach on this, a lot of people think that means, okay, just sit around and do nothing and pray. No, that's not necessarily true. God's been probably telling you to take some action. You want to find out what the action is. It isn't that you're just supposed to sit there and do nothing. But go to God and ask for the solution. Look for it. Get in your word. Tell him to show you through scripture. Tell him to show you through another person who's a godly person giving you godly counsel. And then when you see I'm supposed to take an action, take that action. Do what he tells you to do. When we look in chapter 11, we see that when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, he took action. He was angry and he took action. And it was the right action because it was led by the Holy Spirit. The truth of the matter is, if you want to see real victory in your life on a consistent basis, then always look to God for the solution and for the answer to your situation, and then walk in the power of His Holy Spirit. Walk means live under the control of Go to the Lord and go, okay, Lord, I'm I'm wanting to do what you want me to do. Give me the power to do it. Then be like Saul. You know, when the Lord comes upon you and gives you that power and that ability and that answer is what to do, do it and do it in confidence. Knowing that that's the solution, not anything that man has to tell you. And then we won't be repeating the mistakes of the children of Israel. Always looking for another answer rather than to the Lord himself. Well now, um, instead of rebuking the Israelites anymore at this point, Samuel's already done a pretty good job of that. He's going to start taking a little bit of a, of a different approach here now. The people had demanded their earthly king. God gave it to them. He chose the king for him. He chose the one that they really wanted. Somebody was tall, handsome, and looked the part. But God warned them, remember, through Samuel, of what it was going to really be like and how it would go. But since Saul was the king now, God graciously worked through him and gave them a, a victory. Remember, it wasn't Saul's wisdom. It wasn't his might. It wasn't his strength. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon him. But now, there is no going back. Even though they realized, oh, we blew it here, there's no going back. This is what's happened. You wanted a king, you got your king. Here we go. But now God's going to give them some rules to be followed here. And I think this is really interesting. Verse 13. He says, Now therefore, here's the king that you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold... The Lord has set a king over you. So he's saying, okay, it's a done deal now. God wanted him to know, this is the guy. You don't have to look around anymore. This is the one. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at livingtruthcorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. In 1
1: Samuel 12, we have a great chapter where Samuel recounts his faithfulness to Israel that, much like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he had not coveted anybody's silver or gold. He didn't take any bribes. He was a faithful leader to the people. And as he recounts the history of Israel in 1 Samuel 12, he talks about the sad history of the country that even though God had blessed them in so many different ways, they often rebelled against the Holy One and certainly pained him. But he goes on to say in verse 16, and I think there's a lot of application for us just to hear these verses, maybe in a, a way that we would take them for ourselves. He says, Even now, 1 Samuel 12:16, take your stand. See this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. He says, is, this, is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants, to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Yes, you've blown it, but don't give up. And you must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things, which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. We do a show called The Bible Answer Show. And uh, during this this program recently, we had a mom call in and say that um, her son is uh, turned away from the faith that he was raised in. Another caller called in and said, a minister that he knows is walking away from the faith. Both calls in the same broadcast. And the question comes up, well, what are they walking to? You know, Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I know we wrestle with questions and struggles the problem of evil sometimes we we have uh, young adults children young adults and even older people get on websites and hear arguments against the god of the bible and sometimes they can feel compelling but to where will you go to what will you enter into you see we find our answers in the cross in the face of jesus christ and if we are to turn away from the faith we're only going to go to futile things